0: All right. Welcome to Sundays with Stories. This is a podcast brought to you by the Life Process Program or LPP. The LPP is an online addiction coaching program. We deal with a range of issues that people might have, not only to drugs, but involvements in their lives that they feel preoccupied by and maybe just need to articulate their uh, issues or perhaps need to articulate and get responses from a trained coach at our Life Process Program. This podcast that we do sort of distinguishes us from other addiction groups or uh, or addiction counselors or clinicians out there in that we deal with the whole person, we deal with people's experiences, and we take them as they are. So if you were to work with us in our program, you would come to us with your issues judgment free from us, and we try to work with you to figure out what you want and what you need and what you need to do to get there. Um usually we have a story for you a story from either the media or that we have uh that we've seen in our lives and we spin it we re-spin it back to reality um you know in a way that the media perhaps hasn't portrayed it before and there are always stories related to addiction but i'm going to save that for the end we're going to tell a story about phil collins and his drinking issues um first today I want to begin by answering questions that people have posed. We have a Facebook group, a Life Process Program discussion group, and uh, people who listen to the podcast and people who interact with that group have been having really cool conversations, really thoughtful, and I thought that I'd pose some of those questions here. Before I do that, I should introduce that I'm with Dr. Stanton Peel, the creator of the Life Process Program. How are you doing, Stanton?
1: Very good to be with you, Zach.
0: So, hey, this is sort of impromptu for you, but I wanted to, um, something I've been thinking about because people have been discussing. Um, One person wrote in or wrote to me personally, and they saw our podcast talking about an AA adage. What was it that we talked about? Something in AA, oh, it was taking a personal inventory, and we discussed the, um, You know, there's some wisdom in trying to recount things that have happened to you by virtue of your addiction, but you don't want to get bogged down and, you know, you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of
1: um,
0: flogging yourself for every wrong that you've done. You want to make progress. So we discussed that.
1: And 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 we talked about how in the Life Process Program, we give people the skills to go out to interact with others, to find... It's not a quite Right. You don't want to self-flagellate and just say, oh, look at all the wrongs I've done. This is an ongoing relationship in many cases with your family. And you need techniques and outlook and some skills that you can use to remedy those kinds of problems and have a more productive, ongoing relationship, which is what the Life Process Program is about. It's like starting where you're at and right, you know, without gushing through your memories of failure saying, well, we're here now, how do we in the here and now progress in our lives to make it our addictions less of a fulcrum for all that we do.
0: So this is a person who very well said, and this is a person who's keyed into that phenomenon that there are things that are written in AA that on the surface sound sensible and maybe to some extent they can be sensible um so he was asking about a a different AA adage but before I even get there we were talking about how you know you can have a slogan it could sound nice it could be totally meaningless like you know you remember no child left behind you know does any is anyone in favor of leaving children behind you know support our troops does anybody want is anybody against uh all the troops. So, you know, so this person's asking about what do we think about um, the idea of one day at a time? It's so vague, so nice sounding, you know, you get to um, narrow your frame.
1: One day at a time is it's a way of translating the AA concept that you're one drink away from completely collapsing your entire recovery in your entire life as you're aware, if you have a half a, a a taste of alcohol, you have to come back to AA and start from ground zero. as so everything you've done, not only your whole life, but everything you've done within, let's call AA a group, a therapy group is meaningless. And of course, that's the opposite thought from harm reduction. Harm reduction is a way of zeroing in and a more successful way of dealing with your life and if you have some problems in that journey that doesn't mean that you haven't learned anything that doesn't mean that you haven't progressed it means that there's a slip Alan Marlott used the term a slip rather than a full relapse and you're prepared to learn from that and to proceed further so um, the one day at a time has you like hovering over a cliff that you're about, just about to fall off of. Whereas the Life Process Program and harm reduction psychotherapies is, we're on a journey, we've learned quite a bit. We accept that we're not perfect. Um, We're trying to maintain our improvements and to utilize new skills and ways of thinking. And in fact, Even on their own, most human beings progress in that way. Most people are more constructive and successful dealing with themselves and others in their 30s than their 20s and proceeding into their 50s and so on. So we're just encouraging a natural life process. This is where we got our name.
0: Let's say that a different way by, I don't want to even say devil's advocate. I'm not going to play the part of AA but I'll play the part of somebody who picks up on that phrase and says, this is useful. Um, Why could it be useful? Well, you could imagine a time that you have so much going on so much that you're planning. You're looking at a, a lifelong adventure of something that you want to do or a lifelong goal. And that could be overwhelming. So narrowing your frame to the moment that you're in existence is sort of like a stoic or even mindful way of thinking about things. Sometimes, you need to zero in on what's going on right now and pay attention to that so that you don't get overwhelmed with things that haven't happened yet or have happened previously. That's a, that's a mindful way of thinking. What you're saying is that smuggled in with that concept, with that phrase, is the entire AA ideology pulled into it, which says that really to be successful, you need to not drink. You need to not do drugs. You need to remain what they call sober. So saying one day at a time is a way of saying you need to continue not drinking you need to continue staying sober if you're going to do anything with your life but look focus on staying sober today and the problem with that is that even though it does the, the mind it presents the mindful element of focusing on the here and now it also di- it also uh, discludes the idea that perhaps so say you've been on a, a progressive journey for 6 months and then you have a drink, well, they say that if you have a drink on that day, start from square one. They don't say all of the things that you've learned along the way. Uh, just lock that in your gains and think about, like you said, Alan Marlett called it a slip. Think about this thing as a slip and then, you know, carry on. We at the Life Process Program might not even call that a slip. I mean, it's only a slip if you didn't want to drink. You, we, we might say, all right, you drink. So, you know, alcohol is a thing. People drink it and why did you decide to drink? Did that have benefits for you? Did it detract from your experience or what? So um, I guess the problem with one day at a time is a, that it's incomplete and B doesn't, um, doesn't uh, when, when people are in favor of it, they're not usually saying, I'm in favor of this because it maps onto the whole aid, a ideology.
1: And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you've convinced yourself that um, a slip means that you've, lost everything you're more likely to just jump off the cliff and more fundamentally it pictures you as tottering on the edge of a cliff rather than as a human being who has the ability to go gracefully forward and to mature and to improve yourself even though we don't want to become arrogant and and not recognize our own imperfection and so it's not it's not really a buoying up of yourself and uh, a looking forward. I, I mean, the concept that we hear that more accurately describes what we're talking about is living in the here and now. It's not living in the here and now. The AA one day at a time is imagining, oh, you're horrible, the weight that you're carrying that's about to topple you over. Living in the here and now is saying, okay, we're here now. This is the world that we're facing. Let's both enjoy it and deal with it responsibly. Um, It comes from the kind of Buddhist philosophy of self-acceptance and yet positivity towards yourself and the universe.
0: Brilliant. Anything else you want to add on that point?
1: No, I think think we've explained thrown the ideas, the philosophy. I mean, I guess one thing I want to say is it's amazing how these kind of worldviews underlie what a phrase means and how we approach things. Hmm. Um, You know, I'm not here to convert people to Buddhism, but it's a kind of an opposite sense of your place in the universe from the kind of heavily protestantly, religiously Christianity-oriented, temperance-oriented vision that AA has. And that underlying outlook and philosophy is a critical thing in and of itself.
0: Yeah. So here's... um, This is not so much a question, but just... Um, the question here is, I, I've worked with a client, and she's given me permission not to name her, but to just explain some of her story um, and how she overcame excessive eating or at least at least one dimension of her excessive eating um and she wanted to hear from you and or me to to share if we've had um if we have ideas about this one or um if we've experienced other people who have had similar encounters and third she wants to know if we have an idea about how this is universal not just with food but how this could work with drugs or alcohol so her her story is that she was um she was really trying to diet. She was very overweight. Um, but by the time I was talking to her, she had lost a lot of weight. And I think over 100 pounds. And um, one thing that she was doing in the mornings was going, she stopped at whatever the Canadian equivalent of, Duncan, what is it called? Uh, not, Duncan, not Tim Hortons in the morning. And she'd get donuts and bagels and, you know, coffees. And she just ate them all. Um, And one thing that she did that was easy for her, she got up a little earlier, she made herself like a protein filled breakfast, and she continued to stop at that Tim Hortons, and she would get just a regular coffee. And that was enough for her. And she went about it, she didn't really change anything else. And just by making that change in the morning, that sort of set her up. She didn't have to think about anything else. But she said kind of naturally, throughout the day, she remembered that she took that big step in the morning to take care of herself and she wanted to kind of add on to it throughout the day. So she sort of had a natural recovery because she reoriented her morning. Her her issue was she would she kind of had on the back end of her day, her work day, she would drive by this strip that had McDonald's, Burger King's, um and she just associated those things with her drive home. She would always be tired, so she she said, you know, the soda, just the idea of the soda and having caffeine was good. Um, And she had a really hard time driving by those places and just not stopping to to get burgers. And she would go go by, you know, three different fast food places and get all the stuff that she wanted. And she got home. Um, So she was thinking about this as like, you know, if there was a skid row or something that I had to go by, I probably would just go around it so I didn't have to involve myself with drugs if if she was uh, addicted to drugs. In this case, this is just she has to go to work. And there's no really good way around. She has to take this bypass. She has to go by these places. And um, so the way we talked through this and we talked about when you land at home, what's your night like? So I sort of reflected you, you made a change based on your morning routine at home. What's your routine at home when you get home from work? And she started explaining it to me. And then she sort of realized, you know, I think I just get I live alone and I get bored And I can't think of anything really to do with my night. I just want to relax and uh, whatever relaxation means. So she relaxes with all this food and watching Netflix. So she does various things now. We don't have to get into all of it. But she's kind of set her house up into different stations where she could do constructive things, relaxing things. And it took a little while. But just the idea that she can get home and there are places to relax and things to do that she's planned out she had said that just gave her success. She didn't even have to, she really didn't have to focus on the food or I'm not stopping for the food or I want the food. She just really needed to focus on the next level, which is once I get home, what am I going to do? And once that was more enjoyable, she doesn't really think about it anymore. So her her question really is, um, have you, I'm trying to, it's a little bit abstract, but I think you understand. Have you had these encounters with other people who the, the way to ameliorate the problems isn't so on the nose. Like, it's not like you should avoid bars or you should avoid drugs, but it's more what else is going on in your life. Um, and then she, she wanted to know if that you've dealt with people like that with not just food things, but also drugs, sex, whatever.
1: Well, I I guess I three points occurred to me right up top. The first is, um, She is making the case for dealing with overeating and related issues, health issues, in the same fashion as dealing with drug and alcohol addiction, which is already what the Life Process Program is about. We mentioned the great uh, Alan died about, I guess about five years ago. His relapse prevention program combined heroin, eating, smoking, drinking, and gambling, I think. And um, he at some points gave me credit for putting them all in the same basket. And she is giving an ideal way or is exemplifying how those kinds of behaviors are all fall in the category of what we would call addictions. The second thing I would point out is that, uh, well, she's been successful. I mean, if you've lost hundred pounds, you're a little bit of a role model and we have a lot to learn from you. Although you have a lot of faith to dedicate to yourself and say, well, I've, you know, accomplished a pretty remarkable thing. And it's these larger concepts, how you view yourself, how you view your ability to influence your life, how you activate your motivation. I mean, obviously... Somebody who's lost 100 pounds probably needed to do something very helpful for herself. And she came to a realization that that was the case. So, um, and there's nothing that can replace that. I mean, when it gets down to it, it's uh, motivational interviewing and life process program says, well, let's think about who you are and what you really want in life and how you're going to better direct yourself to that goal. There's no getting around who you want to be um, and what your values are and what your purpose is in life. So I hope I've made two points. One, the generality of the addiction approach. Two, over the larger variables in your life. And then we get down to three which is like dietary tricks. Um, And unlike some programs, we focus first on um, self-advocacy, your ability to affect your life, your larger purpose and your larger values and bringing them in line. Then come techniques, but for a therapy or a therapist to say, oh, you know, why don't you do x or y you know well why don't you eat lettuce for lunch or something like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so ask backwards because no therapist no therapist is going to know the inner workings of an individual's life like she outlined her ride and her um commute and how she reacts to the mcdonald's and all you you could never know that and she in the morning framework came up with a clever, she ate a healthy breakfast. She went to the same place, which is harm reduction. It's the opposite of AA, boy, don't go into a bar. And now she had modified her way of interacting with that setting, which she enjoyed by her own behaviors in line with where she wanted to go. So if if you're being a helper, you would, and she says, Well, at the tail end of the day, which is exactly what you did as a skilled life for us as coach. Well, you sort of already have dealt with this issue at the beginning of your day. How can we translate that skill into dealing with the end of your day, which she had already begun to do or that you helped her to do, which is um, how to fill that time in a more constructive way. I I don't know, this might actually be point four. Um, Addiction is not a problem that people have so much with a thing. Addiction is a failure to relate positively to your overall life. And, you know, you asked exactly the right question, which is, you know, when you're tempted to relapse around food, what actually is the life environment you're looking at? And like many, many people, she she lives alone. Um, the positive options in life, you know, you have to ferret them out. You have to think what it is you want to do that's positive, which you did with her around um, individual activities and in individual places, you know, in her life. And those things are all laying latent. She's already, she knows what she likes. She knows what the alternatives are, but she needs some encouragement or interaction around thinking how she's actually going to fill those things, which is a very, it's a very existential question. It's like, what is valuable in my life? How am I going to bring that to the forefront? How am I going to make that the primary thing? And once you... Life Process Program is a theory of connections um, and involvement and engagement. we've, We've talked about Jane Pauley engaging with her life. There's a lot to engage with in life, but we lose track of it. We become discouraged. We get preoccupied with other things. And that's the goal of the Life Process Program is to be engaged in as many positive inclinations as you have and the more successfully you do that, the less likely you are to be addicted. It's not that. that's obviously not how great, uh, you know, a cheeseburger McDonald's is or all those pastries that she avoided in the morning were or how super alcohol is. It's the alternatives that you're not pursuing, which are both source and the remedy for your addictive over-reliance.
0: Now I have a confession one of the reasons I wanted to share this is because I was proud of my ability to resist offering suggestions when they popped into my mind she's actually a good enough storyteller she's so she gets so detailed with how she's feeling in a moment that I kind of feel like I'm there and I had to remind myself a few times of my purpose in this conversation you know I think that being a good clinician in some ways you You kind of want to be able to retell the story and people ask like, well, why were you even there? She did it Um, because that's the trajectory we want people to go sort of get within themselves and try to figure out what makes sense in their lives. Um, So I just want to share a couple tricks to to bring it to a meta level, I guess, that I used. First of all, the first trick I, I stole from you, you know, you've asked in the past. People are um, trying to kick drug addictions, and then they tell you that they quit smoking early on in their lives, and they kind of breeze by that. So, yeah, well, I mean, I quit smoking, but now the drugs, and you can say, well, hold on. So you've already quit an addiction, and so how did that work out? And you tell them. So I thought about, all right, how do you link this concept? So she's already telling me that she's already worked out a way that she makes her day better and more healthful. So I was able to stop and say, Good. You've already made the beginning of your day more healthful. Let's think about the dynamics of that. Uh, let's try to, you know, plug that in, use that template for and bookend your day with these, you know, healthy things. So that was like a suggestion, but a suggestion to think about how she already did something, and you know, steal borrow from that. That was a good Stanton Peel trick, a good clinical trick. But another thing was that when she was talking about her drive home, I. Was tempted to offer, to, to brainstorm and offer ideas. And there's a good, there are good times for that, but I don't think good times for that are in a, a clinical one on one setting. You know, I wanted to, she talked about wanting to get to the gym more and that she had a hard time uh, doing that during her day. And then, sort of in the next breath, was talking about her drive home. And I've, I felt like saying, Do you drive by any gyms on the way home? And, you know, you, I might have done that if I wasn't really thinking, you know, if I wasn't present. And uh I was so tempted to say things that I decided maybe I can sort of say something, but I will uh I will do what um what Chris Voss is an FBI negotiator calls an accusations audit. So I said, I was I said, You're such a good storyteller that I'm tempted to like I feel like I'm there. So I'm tempted to shout out to you some of the ideas I might have if I were in that situation, because you've made it easy for me to do that. Um, stop me if I'm ever going to do that, because I know the last thing that you might want is me rattling off suggestions that you've already thought about. And so that I put it on the table, so I wasn't tempted anymore. And I think that made her feel a little bit more comfortable that that's not the route that I was going to go down. Um, so that was a pretty interesting thing, I, I think. Yeah, to that's do. a
1: less sort a less is more therapy approach where you don't value yourself. This is a fundamental shift in therapy thinking. It's not you making valuable suggestions. It's you pulling back to give the person the space to develop their own thinking, to, to create their own life resolution, which is what it's all going to boil down to in life. You're not going to be on that car ride with, home with her. She has to feel and see and enact these things, so the more you're able to advance her real life thinking in that direction, that's the more helpful you can be
0: that was the ultimate um success uh the but the the other part of that that i'm that I'm saying is that i think i mean she says so I think that when i brought up something that she might be concerned about in sharing this story. Like I, I could imagine she would be concerned. Like I've told this kind of story before people always offer advice. I can never fulfill it. So I just put that on the table and addressed it and said, I bet you, you know, I can imagine that you would be concerned that, you know, I'm going to rattle off suggestions. And I, I think that step made her feel in, involved in the process and less worried that that was going to happen and that's something new that I'm trying is to, instead of holding those things in and perhaps uh, then manifesting somewhere down the line, I tried to explain where I am, but I put it in her terms.
1: That reminds me of a story. Um, they, at the University of Wisconsin, where Alan Marley got his PhD, they developed a fellowship. And to uh, when they created that fellowship, they invited a group of addiction people around to talk about addiction issues. And one of the people there was Timothy Bakers, very famous uh, research clinician. And he said, we were trying to come up with a technique for quitting smoking. And we decided we would combine all the different techniques, behavioral techniques that we had learned. But in the control group, you weren't allowed to do that. You weren't allowed to say, oh, why don't you, you know, delay the cigarettes? Or make it harder to reach the cigarettes, hmm. or keep dirty ashtray you know, all of those things. And instead, you had to bite your tongue and just sort of sit there. And when the person said, Well, I've been trying to quit smoking for 12 years, or blah, 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 blah. Instead of saying anything, you would have to say, Gosh, that sounds awful tough. I wonder how you could possibly, you know, and do all kinds of zero things. And Timothy Baker said, It's remarkable how often the client rushed in to fill that space. Well, you know, they're maybe thinking, well, this guy's not gonna be able to come up with anything. Maybe I should be a little bit more active in thinking myself about what I know and what about my life and what resources I've used in the past. So, you know, again, you know, I'm hardly a Buddhist, but there's a stillness approach to problems um, and interactions with the universe, which doesn't mean passivity. It doesn't mean defeatism. It means allowing space for solutions to evolve. And that's especially true in interacting and coaching and therapy with a client.
0: Well, first, I just want to say thanks for your thanks for your feedback on that. And second, so it just doesn't seem like I'm just being... Um, self-congratulatory I just want to say a huge congratulations to this person I mean this is a remarkable success in life you know by her own standards and it's it makes me really happy to see people making such progress and that she you know that she wanted to share that story and that experience because she thought that maybe other people could benefit from it.
1: Well you're a person who doesn't have to boast about your helpfulness you know people find you helpful you know, all kinds of people. And, uh, you you know, you've been able to support yourself by being a non-overbearing helper. That's your your shtick. And it, you know, seems to be marketable. You know, you've been able to put food on the table for a couple of years and decades now. (laughs) Looks like it's a the winning technique.
0: Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I, we don't have that much time left, but I promised a story. And so I'll just make it a quick one because this is a nice transition into a person who helped himself. One of the things that we try to hone in on and expand upon is natural recovery. It's sort of that story there. <clears throat> but Phil Collins is a person who, um, you know, people wrote articles about his alcoholism and uh, that he's an alcoholic. And there were some articles that were posted I can link to a few and I'll link to this interview that I'm citing a few articles that are posted that even though he stopped drinking, people still called him an alcoholic because of that mentality that, you know, once you've had a problem, you would just always have a problem. He had a
1: identity, uh, right? That's his... an identity therapy. AA is an identity <laughs> therapy. You are an alcoholic. If there's one fundamental way that we differ from that, We don't label people. We don't identify people. I want them to identify themselves by a disease. The disease is the behavior is secondary to who they are in their life.
0: So here's how there's Phil Collins own words. And this is a segment that I will share on the links that I think it was about five minutes and he was doing this interview. So I'll read from this. He said, well, in 2005, I sort of retired from music, but I, I still like to play, but I retired from the road, you know, doing show you know two hundred whatever shows a year and Phil Collins was a drummer, of course, drummer for Genesis, and then he had his own band um, then in two thousand and five, right when he was retiring, so he sort of went away from the thing that gave him meaning for decades, he also got divorced, and he said, I got divorced, and things fell apart, and I had two young boys, so he had to deal with. Like, all right, I'm married. I was married to this person. Now I no longer have this relationship. And so, how do we handle the? We both want a relationship with these two young boys. And he said they they kept it pretty cordial, and they were able to get along, even though this was a really rough road. But then she and the kids moved to Miami. He was in Switzerland, so it turned from you know ten minutes down the road to see them, or they go ten minutes down the road to see him, to he had to travel ten hours away by plane to get to see them. So now, all right, he's retired from music—the thing that gave him his career, perhaps a sort of identity. He got divorced. He had two young boys that he can't see as often. So he said, uh, "Things just—I just felt like things were falling apart." Aside from that, he lost—he was losing strength because he had a condition in his right hand. As a drummer who still wanted to play gigs once in a while, it just wasn't working. So he started taking some painkillers to. He said he never had an issue with painkillers. He took him for pain as prescribed, but he also started drinking. So he tried to fill the void that was left by all of these things, all of these engagements that he had in life, and he was drinking a lot. And he drank so he was drinking so much it got in such a habit that um, he, would, he had to wound up having a girlfriend. And also his kids were pleading with him, "Look, you have to stop." And he said that mixed. He, sometimes he would mix alcohol with the prescription drugs and that was a bad mix i mean he learned later on what a deadly mix it could have been so he said so once my kids and people in my life that i loved told me i had to stop i realized well, i really do have to stop and the interviewer said well how did you stop because people don't just stop like that did you go to aa or he said, no no i never wanted to be never wanted to be in that club didn't say anything else about it he just kind of brushed it aside and the guy said well did you go to rehab or something said, okay to be honest I did try out a rehab for a week and then I went there and it just wasn't for me. Uh, What did you say about that? Yeah, that's all I said. I just didn't feel like I belonged there. You know, they, they wanted me to tell me that I'm an alcoholic and I just didn't feel like that. I just drank. And when someone tells me, you've got to stop because of your health, because of your family, then I stop. And that is the unremarkable yet still remarkable Bill Collins story about how he overcame his alcohol addiction.
1: Well, well, I mean, the whole purpose of Sundays for Stories, as you described at the outset, is people don't realize that the majority, the large majority of people overcome their addictions on their own. And the problem is they don't have a union. You know, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. couldn't go somewhere and say, oh, I quit on my own. Uh, We talked about Jane Pauley. Jane Pauley doesn't go out and say, you know, I wrote a memoir saying, you know, how I became bipolar at a really bad point in my life. Now she doesn't talk about that at all. And she's not going to do a program. Oh, that whole bipolar thing, maybe I overdid it or here's how I dealt with it through my family and through my work. There's no avenue to express that. So what we're trying to do is give a megaphone to what is in fact the largest single source for overcoming addiction. And we try and translate it into the life process program, which is natural recovery, his values, his relationships, um, his, it, it sounds a lot like the woman with the food, his needing to be constructive in how he fills his time. And when you align those points in your life, that's when you progress and overcome addiction. It's not a matter of, you know, deciding you have a disease and joining a group. And he is like the large majority of people don't go to rehab and AA in the first place. And the people that do go to those things, um, you know, most people reject them. I mean, I used to go through this calculus when somebody would say, well, AA is the only solution for a drinking problem, might say, well, what percentage of people with a drinking problem go to AA Hmm. or uh, rehab? And so the answer is something like, you know, 15%. And then if you say to them, well, of those people who go to rehab or AA, how many people stick with it? What percentage? of?" And the answer is something like 5%. But let's round up or down and say, well, one in 10 people with a problem goes to AA or rehab, and he actually went to rehab. And then what percent stick with it? Let's call it one in 10, and he didn't stick with it. You know, one in 10 times one in 10 is one in a hundred. So we're getting down to AA and rehab being, I won't say it's useless, and then God bless anybody takes those two paths down the road. But somebody's got to deal with the 99% of people who aren't doing those, connect those two dots. And for, thankfully, you know, quite a large majority of them do deal with it. Let's get in the mix there and spell out what that process is like.
0: All right. Well, and this is maybe, a, this will be a topic for another time. I found this interesting because in our program, the Life Process Program, I've worked with people who are newly retired and they sort of have a ship they didn't realize how much they valued their work or how much purpose their work was giving them um as a in the context of the rest of their lives so now they're they do have a void and so they've had some issues but the, really all they needed to do was go through that stage of development even if it was a little rocky to get there they needed to figure out you know i was working eight nine ten hours a day now i need to f- decide for myself what do I want to do to fill those eight or nine or 10 hours that's valuable and meaningful. Um, and I think everything that you just said, and the point that I just made lends itself very well into the next topic. We're going to discuss, which is, um, well, one of the topics we'll discuss on a different channel and a different podcast, which is talking about the failure of mental health to produce beneficial outcomes. Um, so if people want to go to that talk, then you can go to the link that I'm providing below the Stanton Peel's YouTube channel.
1: Before we do that, I just want to say uh, you've, we've done three stories. The woman at night, she needed more constructive activities. Um, Collins, having, you know, he lost his drumming gig and his family gig became more complicated. And then there's retirement. All three of those things are about surveying your life and creating more positive space that suggests something that's really going on in a widespread way. Now we could call this, how do you deal with the pandemic? You know, a lot of people's life choices have been significantly curtailed by the pandemic. I mean, they're not going to go to hang out at a local club. Um, They, they in some cases, they can't even go to a gym. In some cases, people feel very, they're not going to go on public transportation or take an airplane. And so, In a broader cultural sense, a whole host of individuals are being asked to do what Collins, the woman client, and retirees are asked to do, which is, how do you, you are a person, you have interests, you have abilities, surveying your life space, how are you going to find new outlets and positive ways to experience the world? And. that's a big task that a lot of people are facing, but it's, it's one that many people have done. You've named three, uh, types and it's far from insurmountable. It's simply having the confidence and the mindfulness to recognize that that's what your new task in life is.
0: I don't think I can improve upon that summary. So that's, we should leave it there. And, um, you know, for people watching, listening, we'll see you next Sunday, unless you want to hear what Stanton has to say to expand on all of those things, in which case we'll see you at Stanton Peel's channel. Stanton, see you soon.
1: See you soon.